As I get older more and more, I find this thing happening to me. I'll be in the living room and I'll realize that there's something that I need in the kitchen. And so I'll get up and I'll go to the kitchen. And our house is not a big house. It's really kind of one big room anyways. It might be 15, 20 steps. But by the time I have gotten to the kitchen, I have completely forgotten the purpose (laughs) of why I went to the kitchen in the first place. I think some of us can relate. I'm hearing laughs and a lot of heads doing this. So I'm in the kitchen and have totally forgotten the purpose of my trip to the kitchen. And I've got to stop and ask myself, so why am I here? What am I doing? And sometimes I get that clarity. Oh yeah, I need a pencil. But sometimes I don't get that clarity. And I'll see a bill that needs to be paid or the trash that needs to be taken out because my kids didn't do that. Sure, that never happens at your house. Or I'll get a snack and totally off track of why I went to the kitchen in the first place. That was not my purpose in going there at all. Or I go back to the living room and I have this moment of clarity. Oh yeah, I need a pencil. But because I did not get that pencil during that first trip, I've totally wasted that trip. Now again, I'm, 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 I'm guessing I'm not the only one that does that. As I find that, uh, that I, I, get, I get closer in my 40s, on the high end of, of my 40s, closer and closer to 50, that that actually is a more and more frequent occurrence in my life. Do you know that exactly the same thing can happen to us as a church? I'm convinced that in 2018, it is easy for us to forget our purpose as a church. And so this morning, we are going to talk about our essential why. We're going to talk about who we are called to be, what we are called to do as we are this church that has put our roots down in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. And to get us there, we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. So if you've ever been, been a part of a conversation like this before, you'll know that, that it's common to go to the, the last couple of verses at the end of Acts as the script for this kind of conversation. Because it's here at the end of Acts chapter 2 that we begin to see what the earliest followers of Christ begin to do. In my Bible, the, the subheading for this is, The Believers Form a Community. And there we see in that verse, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And as these verses go on, we actually get a few more activities. The believers met together, they shared their stuff, they were super generous, they worshiped together, they praised God. So let's just stop there for a second and let me ask you this. How many of your past conversations, let's say within the last 12 months, the last year, how many of your past conversations as you sit and talk about church with your friends or your family, and if it's your friends, whether they go to Mannheim, BIC or not, but how many of those conversations revolve around what the church does, around the activities of the church? The way that we do church, and invariably what comes as part of that conversation is, hey, I'm a fan of that, or I'm not a fan of that. 
Can I suggest for us this morning that a real conversation about church, a real conversation about church cannot start with the church. To get to the essential why of church, we've got to back the bus up, back all the way up to the beginning of Acts chapter 2. It's where where we're going to go this morning. But before we do that, let me pray for our time and God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we come to your word, we're going to see what your son Jesus is all about. And in that, there is a call to us, and it is the call of laying down our lives. So this morning, as as we look into your word, speak to us, draw us to surrender to everything that we see there. Be fierce among us. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the thing that we are about to see in Acts chapter 2. To have a real conversation about church, you got to back the bus up. Your understanding of church has to be shaped by mission. And as a church, our mission is not up for debate. I, as the pastor, don't get to pick our mission. You don't get to pick our mission. Our leadership board does not get to pick our mission because our mission has been given to us by Jesus himself. Another way to say that is Jesus drives mission and that drives church. So let me explain what that means. If you dial into the life of Christ, what was important to Jesus? How did Jesus spend his time? How did Jesus reach out to those that were drowning in need? How did Jesus reach out to those that were drowning in their own sin? Why is Jesus always bouncing between time spent with people and then stealing away to get alone to spend time with his father? How and why did Jesus pour himself into his 12 closest followers? It's only once you dial into the person and the work of Christ that you get a measure of clarity. That you are able to see that Jesus is always on mission, always spinning people out into mission. This is the analogy that is in my head. So I don't even know if they allow merry-go-rounds at the playground anymore. My guess is that they don't. But when I was in first grade, whether I was one of the crew that was spinning that thing, or I was on that merry-go-round hanging on for dear life, in first grade, the purpose of a merry-go-round was to see how far you could shoot kids across that playground. That is literally the analogy in my head when it comes to this. Weird illustration, but it is always what Christ is doing. Christ is always shooting people out, spinning people out on mission. He's always engaged in mission, or he's equipping for mission, or he is bringing new life so that others can join him in mission. We see that in places like Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sends out the 12. 
Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72. And places like John chapter 8, where Jesus forgives this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery and says to her, go and sin no more. You have to believe that she has this this good news, this gospel story of that moment with Jesus that everybody wants to hear. We see it in places like, like Luke 19 with Zacchaeus, right? This, this tax guy has cheated you and then shows up on your door and wants to repay you four times beyond what he's cheated you. And why? Because of the new life that he's found in Christ. That's going to drive conversation. In John chapter 4 where the Samaritan woman runs back to her village and says about Jesus, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Whether being, whether being commissioned out directly on mission or simply because these people cannot shut up because of the life change that they have experienced in Christ, Jesus is always spinning people out into mission. And you and I get probably the most clear summary of that mission coming out of Matthew 28. Starting in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, you and I have made these verses about talking to other people about Christ. And that for sure is there. But that's actually the part, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If, if you know the book of Acts, people get baptized straight away once they embrace the message about Christ. But Bible scholars will tell you that the kicker in these verses is go and make disciples. Or as you are going, since, since we are always on the go, so as you are going, because you're already on the go, make disciples. And these verses even give us Christ's definition for a disciple. Those who obey all the commands that I, Jesus, have given you. According to this definition, a disciple is not someone who says a prayer and they're in, safe from hellfire, But a disciple is someone who is more and more finding joy in obedience to everything that Christ commands. Now we're going to come back to this in a moment. We're going to hit pause here and we'll come back to this disciple piece because we're trying to get to Acts chapter 2. See, it's one thing to talk about Jesus drives mission, drives church. But let's see it in action. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the young believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So so why speaking in other languages? Because this mission is about to go worldwide. And as the story goes on, Jews from every nation come running because they've heard this commotion and they hear their own languages being spoken and are like, wait a minute, what is happening here? 
They are amazed. They are perplexed. What does this mean? Someone comes up with a theory. These guys are drunk. And it's Peter who steps up to explain. So jumping back into verse 17, Peter begins to show that what is happening in that moment Really, the supernatural birth of the church, the supernatural thing that was predicted long ago. And so Peter starts to quote the Old Testament prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan, Christ's mission, was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Peter goes on and makes the the connection points between some other Old Testament stories and what is happening in that moment. If we go to verse 36, Peter continues, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Again, Christ's mission. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is a straight up gospel sermon. Peter explains, this is how God has loved you. This is what what God has done through Jesus. Verse 39, this promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Jesus drives mission and that drives church. Peter has been doing life on life with Jesus for the, the three years prior to this, being equipped for this mission. He's been commissioned out on this mission in the first chapter of Acts. He's been empowered for this mission, literally God within him as the Holy Spirit has fallen in the the first couple of verses of what we read. And here he steps into that mission. And even his words coming out of Acts chapter 2, what we just saw, Peter answers the question as being asked, what can this mean by going back to Christ and Christ's mission. It's only then and there that we get to verse 42, how these believers form a community, how they do church. It's only as you dial into the life of Christ, 
that you can see that he's always about mission. And it's only as you understand Christ and mission, it's only then that you're able to talk about what church should look like. Jesus drives mission, drives church. Does that make sense? I said that I'd come back to this. A few moments ago, we talked about these words, go and make disciples. And I said, I said that a disciple is someone who is more and more finding joy and obedience to all that Christ commands. This week, I got, a, I got an email in my inbox on this very thing, and I want to read part of this to you. It's by a guy named Reggie Campbell, and it's called Christian or Disciple. About 173 million Americans identify themselves as Christians. The word Christian has undoubtedly become a brand in today's culture with Christian movies, Christian music, and Christian food. And that'd be Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Is Christianity a value system that guides a lifestyle? Or could it be a tribe of people who salute the same ideas? Oddly enough, the word Christian only appears three times in the Bible. And each time it shows up, it is used in reference to Jesus' disciples. But the word disciple shows up 269 times. 269 times. Clearly, God's word puts a lot of weight on being a disciple of Jesus. He goes on. Somewhere back in time, someone told me that a disciple is a learner and a follower of Christ. For me, that means learning everything I can about Jesus. His life, his message, and his father. It means learning from my mistakes, looking back at my screw-ups and asking God to teach me better ways for the future, turning those mistakes into evaluated experience. That's learning. But following Jesus is more important than learning about him. So again, learning about Christ is important, but following Jesus is more important than learning about him. I think we in the West, as the church in the West, have a lot to learn from that statement. He writes, I like the National Discipleship Forum's definition. Didn't even know there was such a thing, but apparently there is. A disciple is a person who is following Christ, being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. Being changed by Christ as a disciple is a learner, but not just a head learner. He's a heart learner, opening himself up so God can change him from the inside out. It means transparency and vulnerability. It means introspection, repentance, and a continuous pursuit of godliness. It means living out the platinum rule, loving others the way that God loves you and me. And the last phrase of that definition, committed to the mission of Christ, resonates deeply with me. Jesus' instruction to go and make disciples, that's Matthew 28, 19. This has to be our mantra. For us here at Mannheim BIC, this is our mantra. Our church mission, our capture of what we see in Matthew 28 to initiate and nurture a growing relationship with Christ. It's this making disciples, this mission that has to drive all that we are, all that we do. This is our call. But let me share with you a quote that absolutely haunts me. And it's this. 
ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. That quote haunts me. The weight of that, the implications of that as a pastor here, I feel, I feel the weight of that for us corporately. I feel the weight of that individually in my own life. We're going to continue to talk about our mission corporately next week. But as we end this morning, let me drill in on this and ask you, in 2018, as we step into this new year, what's the state of your own personal discipleship? Are you moving more and more in the direction of radical obedience? Here's another quote that helps me with this question. Especially when I realize I fail here, and I fail here, and I fail here, again and again. This is a quote that that I need in my own life. I try to orbit my own life around this truth. I try to have us orbit around this truth every time that we gather here on Sunday morning. I have this quote in my office on a sticky note. It's by John Piper. He says, Our chief enemy to that more and more radical obedience to Jesus, to being a disciple, our chief enemy is the lie that says sin will make our future happier. Our chief weapon is the truth that says God will make our future happier. Check out this next line. When my thirst for joy and meaning and passion are satisfied by the presence and the promise of Christ, the power of sin is broken. It's so important, I'm going to read it again. When my thirst for joy and meaning and passion are satisfied by the presence and the promise of Christ, the power of sin is broken. Do you know what that is? That's obedience. We do not yield to the offer of sandwich meat when we can smell the steak sizzling on the grill. Discipleship. Making disciples. This is our mission. It's the thing that we have to be about as a church. This is what we have to be about and in responding to that mission together as a church. Do we believe that? Does that come screaming through in everything that we do? Discipleship. It's what you have to be about. Being a person who is following Christ, being changed by Christ, is committed to the mission of Christ. If you are going to have any kind of measure of joy in your life, this is what you have to be about. Do you believe that? Will you choose the bologna sandwich or will you choose the ribeye? That's the choice 
that we all have to make. 